Let me share with you what you're doing there. You're shifting to a growth mindset, okay? So when you're in tragedy or trauma or loss or brain injury or COVID or whatever it is, you go away from that growth mindset, you go to fight or flight, right? Or freeze is the third one that we talk about, but fight or flight essentially, and you go into this period of chaos and challenge. The trick is where we can really get growth and success and development and purpose and hope is shifting into a growth mindset. Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you'll find one aha moment after another with some amazing people around the world that I'm talking to about a brighter future, about how they see opportunity and setback. You know, there is an enormous wave of goodness and progress happening in the world all around us that no one knows nearly enough about. There are innovators who are solving some of the world's biggest problems. There are thought leaders who have had lives of complication and have insights that we can all use every day, and they're just not rising to the top of our online lives. I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of The Goodness Exchange, and that's what we shine a light on there. Innovation, ideas, amazing signs of progress that need to rise to the top of our of our awareness because that's the future that era is opening now i'm certain of it and today we're going to talk to someone who's doing so much in the way of helping all of us open new doors and windows and see things more clearly especially after tragedy today i'm going to introduce you to an amazing man that i discovered as a public speaker but there is so much more to his work welcome jacob green thank you linda thank you so much for having me this is this is really exciting thank you well I, i'm just going to tell you a little snippet about jacob and then we'll i'm letting him tell his story because it's a remarkable place to come from and to be at now in his message and the insights that he has and he's sharing with the world are so timely for all of us so jacob's a wonderful man who's navigated a devastating setback in college to become one of the hottest and most upcoming global speakers right now on this topic of leveraging adversity and, and being able to see things more clearly, you know, the forest through the trees concept, instead of seeing only the rocky path below our feet through the hard times, which he will, which he will help us understand are part of all our lives. And, you know, he's written an amazing book called See Change Clearly, a topic that we can all relate to, of course, after the after the two years we've had with the pandemic. But this book has some magic in it. It, it may seem like it's leaning towards business, and it, and it was an Amazon bestseller in five categories. It's like a day one uh, new release bestseller in five categories. So... <laughs> Obviously, there's a lot there. But what I love is that that Jacob seems to seems to cast a really shining, practical, useful for our lives now light on this Viktor Frankl quote that I've seen him use. He uses a Viktor Frankl quote, refers to it, that says, forces beyond our control will take away everything you possess except for one thing, your freedom to choose how you will respond to a situation. Ah. This is the sweet spot in our lives right now. We need to need to have an expanded version of how we respond to adversity. And I'll just tell you just a few little things about why Jacob's been recognized around the world so much. He's been a he's a consultant. He's an entrepreneur. He rose through the business ranks to manage thousands of people quite quickly in life. And he's a nationally recognized expert in in city and corporate leadership development. This is where it's at in this new era of our looking, taking a second look at business and how we create corporate cultures where everyone's a leader. So I, I know we're going to get a lot of wonderful insights in that direction. But here's the really fabulous thing about Jacob. Jacob, through that all, all that success, he is a true humanitarian. I just had a brief conversation to, to begin with before we hit record. And this is the future of leadership. It's it's folks like Jacob who who share their experiences, not all good, ups and downs, and turn them into ways that we can all live better lives and make the world a better place. Jacob's received um, numerous awards for, for his humanitarian work, including being the recipient of the National Caring Award in Washington, D.C., alongside Jane Goodall, one of my personal heroes. 
So <laughs> Jacob, I could go on and on. I'm going to stop right there and, and welcome you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Linda. This is, uh, this is really exciting for me. This is, you know, first of all, thanks for reaching out. Thank you for the invitation. I, I can't tell you how much I think what you're doing is exactly what we need right now. I mean, all of us, you know, need the goodness exchange. We need a place where we can go to get our tanks filled up, yes. you know, to think differently about the world because we're just inundated, as you and I have discussed, by all these messages and all of these challenges and issues. And what a wonderful community that you've created for us to be able to, you know, get our tanks filled back up and, and get some new skills and new insights and new ways of looking at this journey that we're all on together. So I, I so appreciate the work that you're doing. And it's an honor for me to be uh, having a little discussion with you today. Well, this is the thing, you know, the, 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 the word there is together. <laughs> I mean, boy, one thing we learned through the pandemic is no man's an island. We are doing this together. I, we, I've got a great few questions planned in that light in a minute. But yeah, you ref, rec, re, referenced the goodness exchange. I didn't even uh, mention that in my introduction, but I'm the founder of a website called the Goodness Exchange, where people can find thousands of articles that prove it is still an amazing world. And it's the place where in two seconds, you can get your faith in the world uh, restored. Uh, there are amazing people doing really important things that we should all know about. It's just not rising to the top of our online lives, but it's going to, if I have anything to do with it. Absolutely. That'll be our, our mission right now. That is our mission together. Okay. So Jacob, first, share a little of your story with us so people can appreciate this fact that all of us have challenges. Some of us have, have had some really incredible setbacks and yet we can find leverage the power in, in adversity. Talk to us about that. Sure. So, so Linda, I'll take you back a little bit to sort of understand the paradigm that I'm coming at this challenge and change from uh, goes back to my freshman year in college. You know, I, I went off to school. I, I, I knew exactly what I wanted to study. I knew what I wanted to do. I was going to be an international diplomat. I was going to bring the world's people together. I was going to bring all nationalities, countries, languages. You know, I was very optimistic uh, heading off to college. And, and so I got into the international relations program at, at Cal Berkeley, Berkeley and, you know, Berkeley, California. I, don't worry. I love Berkeley. It's great. But they have one of the best programs in the world for, you know, studying uh, diplomacy and international relations. And I was going to go work for the State Department. And so I headed off to Berkeley and, you know, everything is like laid out for you, right? You, you know exactly what courses you're going to study, how many years it's going to take, what you're going to do. You don't have to make too many decisions. Life is, is very nicely laid out on this menu when you arrive as a freshman, especially if you're sort of know what you want to do and and where you want to go. And it was the second semester of my freshman year. And I found myself in downtown Berkeley at the downtown Shattuck subway station. So for those of your uh, listeners that are from Northern California, very popular uh, downtown subway station. And I was heading into the subway and I interrupted a robbery taking place at one of the ticket booths. And a man had broken into the ticket booth and he was attacking the two subway workers that were inside of the booth. And the only thing that I could see at the time, you know, hundreds of people were yelling and screaming and running all over the place, but I could see that inside the ticket booth, one of the subway agents was on a red phone. And so I thought, you know, if I distracted a little bit of attention away from uh, the subway workers, the assailant would maybe get out of the booth. The subway workers could finish their emergency phone call. Police could come, take care of business, and I could go along my way being a college freshman. And so I, I yelled at the guy to get out of the booth and he listened, much to my surprise. He got out of the booth and he charged right at me and he pulled something out from behind his back and began striking me in the side of the head. And I only remember about uh, four or five blows. And then everything from that moment went dark. And uh, that was the moment where this beautiful, nicely laid out path suddenly was had taken a significant detour. I had to drop out of college. I had to enter the world of full-time rehabilitation, going through speech therapy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, neurology, and neuropsychology five days a week. And at the end of that six-month program up in Northern California, sort of learning how to do basic things all over again, I was told by the, the doctors that while I could do my daily tasks, I was not going to be able to return to an academic environment that I needed to go to a rehabilitation facility to learn how to learn again. 
So I relocated to Southern California, which has one of the best brain injury programs in the world. It's called the Coastline Acquired Brain Injury Program. It's in Newport Beach in, in Orange County, California. I relocated down to Orange County and spent the next two years in a rehabilitation program, learning how to relearn again with a room full of folks that had been through different types of traumatic brain injuries and, you know, learning how to get our, our brains in a position where we could acquire new skills and learn and grow. And so that's really that process, that two and a half years, almost three years of full-time rehabilitation. That's really the basis for so many lessons. I mean, so many failures that I had, so many mistakes that I made, but so many different ways of looking at the process of dealing with challenge and difficulty that I said to myself in, I was in my little 800 square foot studio apartment with this little Murphy bed next to the rehabilitation facility. And I said, please let me someday be able to use this experience and apply this to something. Don't let me go through this two and a half, three years just because I have to do it and move on. Let me figure out some way to leverage what I've learned. And so those lessons became the book and, you know, became now what I do with cities and counties and states and, and the federal government and, and corporations all throughout the country is helping others, individuals and teams and organizations navigate those challenges and crises that we all find ourselves going through. So that is an extraordinary story <laughs> and that, that you were able to connect the adversity to possibility. Is this that you were just super fortunate? You, you were raised by people who taught you to do that. You had previous experiences. That little one lesson somehow got into your young brain. Uh, did you have mentors? Were they teaching you this at the brain injury center? Like, how do you get to be the person who responds like that? Mm. Something absolutely dreadful. And yep, a world full of possibility now exists. Where, where do you get that leap? Mm. Well, that's, that's a good question. Um, so a, a few things come to mind with that. Number one, I, I think all of us have a lot of you know, messages and maybe we can talk a little bit later on about the, the pros and cons of these messages. But certainly one of the messages that we all hear is, you know, don't waste your time, right? And, and make the most out of everything that we go through. So I think that was, was definitely a part of my messaging when I was 18, 19. And there was a sense that I, you know, I found myself in that two-year rehabilitation program, the second program I was in, it was on an elementary school campus. And I was literally sitting in those little chairs, looking out the windows, watching the third graders and the fourth graders and the fifth graders at recess, while I'm sitting in these classrooms, learning how to learn again. And I just had this overwhelming feeling that, oh, I did not want this to be wasted. I did not want this to be just something that I skipped through and was never able to use as miserable and as depressed and as lonely as I was. I still had this sense that I wanted to do something with it. And I, I think it really does go back to the Viktor Frankl book. My mentor, one of my mentors is, is Bill Hollamanderis. And he's written five or six books. And his mentor that he knew well was Dr. Viktor Frankl. Mm -hmm. And so before my brain injury in high school, when I had been connected with Bill, Bill got me that book, which I still have that copy of Man's Search for Meaning. And Bill, in my lowest of times, in the brain injury experience, Bill reminded me of that book. And, and you know, you've quoted and, and mentioned Dr. Viktor Frankl's quote about forces beyond your control can take away everything you possess, except for one thing, the freedom to choose how you respond to the situation. It's one thing I definitely remember. But he also said in that book, he said, life is never made unbearable by circumstances, by, but only by lack of meaning and purpose. And so my mentor, Bill, he really encouraged me in the most difficult of times, in the loneliest of times, when I felt like the world was closing in and I didn't know if the next day was worthwhile. He reminded me of that quote and really encouraged me to try to reconnect and seek out purpose. And if you don't mind, I'll share with you a little bit of, of the story as to, to, to how he did that and, and, and the story that has stuck with me and, and maybe illustrates um, how I got got through and navigated that period. It, it was a uh, it was the middle of the night. It was like eleven o'clock at night. It, uh, I was in rehabilitation, and Bill had called. I, I don't know. He just checked on me every once in a while and made sure that I was doing okay. And it was one of those nights. And and he said, you know what you need to do tomorrow? 
you need to get out of bed, call the local county food bank and tell them that you're available to volunteer. I was like, what? I'm a full-time patient. I'm totally damaged goods. What are you talking about? And he's like, no, I want you to call the county food bank and, and tell them that you're available to volunteer. I'm like, you know, okay, Bill, I don't know what you're smoking, but I love you and I trust you. And okay, I'll call the local county food bank tomorrow. So the next day, I called the local county food bank and I said, hey, uh, my name is Jacob. I'm a full-time brain injury patient in rehabilitation and I'm ready to volunteer. And thank goodness they did not hang up the phone on me. That was uh, victory number one. And they said, come on in and uh, we, we got something for you. So, Great. So it was about three weeks before Thanksgiving and they sat me down at this, this desk, this workstation. I had a computer, I had this binder, I had a phone. And they said, you're going to work the turkey hotline. Oh, turkey hotline. Okay. That sounds, that sounds kind of cool. What, what is the turkey hotline? Well, people are going to call the turkey hotline that need a turkey for Thanksgiving. And you're going to connect them with people who have already indicated to us that they're willing to donate turkeys to people who can't afford turkeys. I'm like, Great. Sounds good. Sounds super easy. That's fantastic. So Linda, the, the issue was that, you know, I had a brain injury, right? So I think I sent turkeys to vegetarians all throughout California. I was really, really bad at my turkey hotline job. I couldn't figure it out, but I ended up grabbing my speech therapist and my occupational therapist, and we figured out some systems and, and, and I figured out what, what I was doing. And, and here's what happened. A couple days before Thanksgiving, the turkey hotline rang and it was a voice that I recognized. It was a caller that I had talked to before, but this time they weren't asking me for another turkey. This time they said, thank you. They said, Jacob, you won't believe this. My husband got laid off. I have three kids to feed. I didn't know how we were going to have a Thanksgiving dinner, but this huge freaking turkey arrived on our porch. We're going to have food for days. Thank you so much for what you did. I so appreciate this turkey. Thank you so much. I was fired up. I showed up three hours early to my turkey hotline the next day. I couldn't wait to get there, right? It, it totally gave me the sense and what I learned immediately on that day was that no matter what your situation is, Dr. Viktor Frankl was right. It's really this lack of meaning and purpose. That is really the threat to our ability to move forward. And the great news is, no matter what is stacked against us, no matter what the limitations are, no matter what the challenges are, there are always others that are in need of our support. And it turns out the best medicine, better than any procedure that I went through or any narcotic that I was given or any medication I was on, the best medicine was actually figuring out how I could do something in service to others. That was a selfish act. That turkey hotline ended up being what gave me an incredible new sense of hope and purpose and life. That turkey hotline is what allowed me to cash in the best gift that I've ever been given. It turns out when I dropped out of UC Berkeley, when I dropped out of college, the UC system gave me the best gift I have ever been given. It was a golden ticket. They said if rehab takes a year or two years or five years or 10 years, you can cash this in at any UC school you want, any school. And so that Turkey hotline gave me the hope, gave me the energy, to cash in that golden ticket. And so I did, I cashed that in at the University of California, Ir Irvine. I'm proud to say that I have the record for the most number of years it's taken anybody on earth to get their bachelor's degree. But after eight and a half years, I got that bachelor's degree and then I went on and I got my master's degree after that. But it was because, Linda, it was because of the connection and the understanding and the experience that I had learning that we all have something to give back. And, and truly, it's not just about helping others, but it, it, it can restore meaning and purpose and keep us going through this really challenging journey of life. That story is never going to leave my brain. <laughs> I took the hotline. I love Thanksgiving now, right? I was never a fan until the turkey hotline and, and just just giving me a whole new way to look at it. I, I thought I had nothing to offer. You know, I, I really was was questioning moving on. I mean, I was really questioning the next day. I mean, I, you know, kid you not, I'm not trying to just say that. I mean, it, it was a daily thought about whether or not I could make it to the next morning of rehab. 
And, you know, everything changed, you know, because of Bill and, and the connection with the book and, and those turkeys, you know, it, it's, it's a lesson that's carried through to today when I'm in my most challenging times, which it's not like you go through something and then all of a sudden you're jumping around with unicorns and ponies and having a great time. You still go through challenge and bad days. Um, I always try to go back to the turkey hotline and figure out, okay, I, I'm in that zone. What can I possibly do to restore some of that purpose and some of that hope? You know, that I love that story for so many reasons, but as you frame it up there just then, it reminds me, you know, I'll say right off, my dad was a fabulous surgeon, the last of the Mohican doctors that you had his home phone number and he delivered your baby, took out your appendix, met you at the ER, stitched your kid up. And yet we we have a family history of of the blues and there's no doubt about it. You know, depression runs in my family. And I, you've reminded me with that story that, that I was able to, for 35 years, lay in bed every day and talk my way into caring, talk my way out of bed, that same level of depression that my dad probably suffered with. But boy, he didn't talk about it in those days. There was no way. Physicians talked about their own things, you know, but so every day I've done that and you've reminded me of why I laid with laid there and talk about and talk to myself about all the people who are counting on me. 12 families. My, I have always, my husband and I are both dentists. We, we had 12 families that were relying on us to help them put bread on the table. They, people's jobs counted on my getting up in the morning and feeding their own kids, right? And it was all the people I knew I was going to see. I would always check my schedule the night before. So I knew these special people that were coming in that I had to serve. Yes. This service to others yes. is at our foundational core. I believe it. 100%. Yes. Yeah, I, you know, and, and I don't know, I'm not, I'm not quite sharp enough to figure out why the reasons for that is, but I, I do know that you're 100% right. I, I do know that time after time, story after story of people who have really felt like hopeless and without purpose, service to others is a very selfish act. And it's a permissible, encouraged, wonderful, selfish act. You know, a lot of selfish acts get us in trouble or, or you know, are not encouraged or are against the law or whatever, right? But this is one thing in service to others where you can really fill that tank and you can really give yourself some hope and, and, and some meaning. And I always challenge folks, you know, I, I get incredible contacts from people all over, all, literally all over the world going through whatever their challenge is or whatever their issues. And they've been given a copy of the book, right? And, and they're going through their issue. And I always challenge them, okay, you know, tomorrow, just like Bill told me, call that local county food bank. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, right? But have that experience of getting out of our own brains, which can just be so consuming and just giving in whatever way that you can. And there's lots and lots of ways to do that. So yeah, you're right. We're wired for whatever reason to be in service of others. And that's when the best of humanity, I think, surfaces when we can work with others in service of others. Absolutely. I, I think that the people who've done, I've noticed in my practice, I get to be involved with lots of people's lives. And the people I've noticed who, who have done more than just survive the pandemic, they've seemed to thrive a little bit. It's the folks who found ways to help their neighbor that was elderly and couldn't get out to the store, or they they had new relationships with their kids. They're like, with me, my college kids all came home with a significant other. And our family went from two to eight and we lived together for 18 months like that. I had to step it up. I had to choose my battles and not worry about the kitchen being terribly clean. And I mean, anybody who had to do something for others, even if it meant setting aside something that was important to themselves, seemed to thrive. Yes, absolutely. I, you know, you bring up so many interesting things. One of the things that you reminded me of is this notion, like when you just reflected back on this last, you know, two years period of time and, and helping others and working with others and stepping up, it's something that we're all going through right now. And I hear this from our clients a lot that we just want to be done with COVID, oh. right? We just want to go through, we want to be done. We want to leave that behind us. We want to close that chapter. And I'm always encouraging others and, you know, the businesses and the cities and the teams I'm working with, wait a minute, wait a minute. Just like when I was sitting on that Murphy bed in the rehabilitation process, if I were to just to skip over all those things that I have learned, right? The turkey hotline lessons and all the lessons in rehabilitation, all the techniques and strategies and tools, if I just throw that away and close it and move forward, haven't I just missed out on an incredible opportunity to be a better person? And, and take with me some tools and resources. And the things that you just mentioned, the lessons that you learn about family and connection and reliance and service and partnership and the dangers of solidarity 
And by the way, the people that live in solidarity before and after COVID, solidarity for some of us was something that we just learned in COVID, but the reality is people all around the world feel lonely and hopeless and need that human connection. And so the gift that we have of COVID or any tragedy, you know, I wrote my book before COVID, so any tragedy or any challenge is that we have a chance to reflect, grab the tools and apply them moving forward. And, you know, without those lessons that you just mentioned, Linda, about the, the insights and, and the victories and, and the wins in your family era and COVID, gosh, how much crappier life will be moving forward? We actually need to, instead of just skipping so quickly, we actually need to make sure we take a moment to process that which we've been through and that which we've learned and gained as a result of this tragic, traumatic, awful, terrible, horrible, loss-filled moment. But there is still something that we can gain and, and, and take away from it. I think you said, take a moment to reflect. I, I think that's what, we're, that's what we were not doing at all before the pandemic. Most of us, no generalizations there, but yeah. most of us, that, that was like a giant forced pause button. Yes. <laughs> it was, right. was, we're all on a train speeding along and somebody pulled an emergency brake. And that reflection, you know, I, I want to veer just slightly into the business world on this. I'm a professional that didn't have enough business training, but, you know, good dentist, but not no preparation for me, business officer, owner. But the one thing I think I did well um, is uh, just this last year in our annual planning day in January, we organized a lot of time to talk about what we've learned together in the last two years. You know, in healthcare, I can see so much potential in healthcare leaders organizing small groups of people to feel refreshed. We're, we're still hearing how this is dragging on and still weighing and there's just chaos in the healthcare world. But if we we hit the pause button and reflect and about tell swap stories, you know, what it was on day four in my dental practice was insane. And yet the hygienists all pooled their resources. Most of them knew how to sew. They came in with these little surgical caps that one of them had sewn. I never told them to do that. They just figured it out themselves. There was thing after thing that they just figured out for themselves. And it's time to celebrate that. Yes. Decide, yeah. you know, like celebrate our ingenuity and, oh yeah, remember you did this and then I did this. And let me share with you what you're doing there. You're shifting to a growth mindset. Okay. So when you're in tragedy or trauma or loss or brain injury or COVID or whatever it is, you go away from that growth mindset. You go to fight or flight, right? Or freeze is the third one that we talk about, but fight or flight essentially. And you go into this period of chaos and challenge. The trick is where we can really get growth and success and development and purpose and hope is shifting into a growth mindset. Now, how do we do that tangibly? The, the, the beauty of it is it applies to exactly what you just said in your dental practice and your work environment, but it can also apply to your home. So we have four kids, right? And, you know, 14, 12, nine and seven. And what we really had to think about doing is these kids were living with fear and terror every day. They really felt like I can't see my friends. I can't see my teachers. Am I going to get sick? Is dad or mom going to die? Am I going to die? What? All these things, that's not a growth mindset. But what we as parents can do is help our kids switch into a growth mindset. Asking your kids questions like, what are you learning about our family? What are you learning about your friend? What are you learning about school? What do you appreciate about school that your teachers are providing for you? It's the same thing that the best teams right now are doing in the workplace. The best teams, Linda, are doing what you have done. Now, you are in the absolute minority because I can tell you right now that most bosses, most leaders, most, most companies, they're just trying to move through. They're just trying to get back to business. And that's okay and understandable, but they're missing on the opportunity of what you've done with your people, the growth, the, because the connections that you can create by just asking the question, gosh, guys, let's reflect for a minute. Where have we been? What was the worst moment of the last two and a half years? What was the best moment for you? What have you not shared about the last two and a half years that you think could apply to our dental practice? You know, just taking instead of a staff meeting, talking about our numbers and our revenue and, and our patient schedule and our just taking 30 minutes to have that conversation switches your practice into a growth mindset, switches your employees and your staff and your team into a growth mindset. So that whatever the challenge is moving forward, 
you're teaching and training your team that no matter what it is that comes ahead of us, we're not going to ignore it. We're not going to be Pollyanna. We're not going to say, it'll, it'll all be okay. Don't worry about it. We're going to address it. We're going to define it. We're going to talk about it and we're going to leverage it. And that's the power. The power is when we can start going through tragedy and trauma, owning it, being there with it, being present with it, and then ultimately leveraging it. What do we learn and how can we apply it moving forward? And that's, that's really been my challenge to help try to keep me alive. And again, form the basis of the book. What, what can be learned? What can be leveraged? And, and how do we use this stuff to move forward and make impact? We have got to incorporate this kind of mindset in what comes next. I really see us trembling on the edge of turning the page and opening a new era. And what we're talking about is so possible from like a macro level too. We can decide as human beings to live more like this. And as a society, it will be that way. You know, the more of us that adopt more reflective and possibility, possibility focused mindset to tragedy, because I don't know, I think we're going to have to live with this, this pandemic for a while. We certainly got all kinds of new choice challenges economically coming down from the Ukraine situation. We've got just no end to the climate change challenges ahead. And that brings me to something I definitely want to talk about is uh, that relates to exactly what you just said and exactly this little encapsulation of doom and gloom that I just did. Sorry for that. (laughs) From the global positive media model. You're you're making it up with a goodness exchange. So you got tons of goodness that you're putting out there in the world. So you're entitled because it all comes, it's all part of the same boat. It's all together. We got to, we got to have all that together. So if we, if we turn the page, on just recognizing that that is, and I'm sure that's a part of your philosophy too. Like there's some things that we just have to, that we just can't lament. Um, we just have to recognize that this is. Yes. I can share a little bit of a, a, a oh. strategy that comes in with that. It's something that I learned in rehabilitation and, and to your point, because it's, it's really easy to hear a lot of this and think, gosh, I'm falling short. I'm not leveraging. I'm not making the most out of all this. I'm not learning. I don't have a growth mindset. And then, boy, that that really starts to, to tumble. And there's something that I learned in rehabilitation that helps with that. You know, we have all this pressure as human beings to seize the day, carpe diem, make the most, don't waste any minute. You know, I mean, all these influencers that we're always hearing about, it, like, get out of bed. It's 4 a.m. I hope by 4.30, you've done 7,000 burpees. And, you know, you've already written two books by the weekend. And, you know, I mean, all this incredible pressure to be like the best you could possibly be. And, you know, it's, it is, it is really, really, really exhausting and intimidating. And what I learned in rehabilitation and in the brain injury program is a great strategy. And it's a strategy that seems to resonate with so many of my clients and colleagues. It's called do-over day. The beauty of this world is that the sun sets and the sun will rise and we get another chance tomorrow. And so if today was crappy, If today you ate bonbons on the couch and watched Oprah, don't worry about it. Don't call your therapist necessarily right away. I mean, you know, maybe call you, but, but don't feel the sense of total failure. Sometimes the best that we can do is just eat bonbons in that day. Sometimes that's what we needed to do to get through that day. And at the very end of the day, you say, you know what? This is a do-over day. Tomorrow I get another start. Tomorrow I get a fresh approach. Let's see how tomorrow goes. And my wife and I have this great strategy because we have some bad days here. I mean, some days we screw up as parents. Some days we just don't get it right. We're both trying to work full time. We're both trying to make it happen. We're, we're you know running a business and we have a lot of bad days. And at the end of the day, instead of saying, gosh, I'm a failure. I didn't carpe diem. We say do over day. Yeah. Do over day. Okay. Do over day agreement. And it's like this release. It's like this permission to go ahead and make sure that, okay, we'll get to tomorrow. It'll be all right. And so always making sure that while we're leveraging adversity and you know see change clearly and, and seeing things differently and doing all these good things, we're also giving ourselves permission to be human and know that some of those pressure messages sometimes can be counterproductive and we have to have a nice balance. And so I like that you bring that balance to the conversation, to the table. We're not just going to talk about all the positive things of COVID in the last two and a half years. I'm going to ask my team also, what was tough? Where did you fall short? Where did you forget to reach out to others? Where did you contribute to some of the chaos? 
Where do you want to make sure that doesn't happen again? There's a balance and we take that balance with us as, as we move forward. This is a great practical tip. Hmm. Jacob, really a great practical tip. I, you saw me write it. Do over day. Do over day, right? Like, yeah, put it on the sticky pad, put it right next to the monitor. That's what I usually tell people is it just makes the day easier too. If you know at the end of the day, you can pull that card out. We want to pull it out seven days a week, yes. but occasionally we want to have that card to be able to play and it's okay. Yes. Oh, okay. Let's take a break. And I want to connect people to the goodness exchange and all the bits and pieces that are there for people to, to have these kind of moments in our lives. We've got to find a balance between the breaking news. I don't tell people to turn off the, the news. You might think that I do, but I do not. There's, but boy, it's finding that balance in our lives between the social media and breaking news and being in real moments with real people. We've got to find that, that measure of balance. And I think the goodness exchange can help people. So we'll take a break and then we'll come back. Dr. Linda here. If you are hoping the world is a lot better than what we see on the news and social media, and if you've been overwhelmed by the misery and negativity coming from the screens in your life, I've got a wonderful connection for you. What I've learned after almost a decade of curating the internet for insight and innovation is that there is an enormous wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world that almost no one knows about yet. And that's what led me to create this podcast. And then I co-founded The Goodness Exchange. The Goodness Exchange is an amazing place on the internet now where you can enjoy unlimited access to hundreds of articles that give you a more complete, positive perspective about the state of the world. You can listen to exclusive bonus content from this podcast with our guests who are knee-deep in solving some of the world's most vexing problems, and yet they still think the future is bright. We need to know what they know. And at the Goodness Exchange, you can explore a feed of exclusively good news and recommended other kinds of content created by the Goodness Exchange community. No one with good ideas and good intentions need feel alone again. You are right to hold out hope for humanity. Millions of people are out there creating a better world, and we have created a gathering place for all that wonder. Who knows what's possible now that there's a place on the internet created to bring out our best impulses and our collective genius. To explore the home for goodness on the internet, visit goodness-exchange.com backslash membership. Thanks. Okay, so we're back and I am so excited to continue talking to Jacob Green. Jacob has a book called See Change Clearly. And in the first half of this interview, <laughs> he's helped us see so much more clearly the things, uh, the power, the, the opportunity in setbacks. So thank you so much. Let's continue with the journey, Jacob. Sounds really good. I, I love it. Again, this is, this is so wonderful for me to to be able to learn from you and and be able to share with your audience, hopefully practical things they can take back to their families or to their teams, their organizations, their environments, whatever it is. That's the beauty of this. We find that like we're all we're all on this journey together. Like every single person, no matter how perfect you think their lives have been, they've been through challenge, they've been through trauma, they've been through. And, and thankfully, we have a lot more folks that are visible that are talking about those challenges and issues. And, and so the key is we can learn from each other and you've provided us a beautiful platform to be able to do that. So I'm, I'm grateful to you for allowing us to have this kind of environment, to have these challenging conversations and take a little time out to provide these insights for, for all of us. Well, uh, that's why we called it the goodness exchange, exchange. because we Word. want to create a landscape there where people can meet and, and collaborate and just be with others who have good intention and good ideas and just find that because I really, truly believe there are far more people. You know, we weren't, we, the advent of the internet did not change our basic human nature. Our basic human nature is to, is to contribute and to be a part of things that are growing and changing. So we could go on and on. Okay. Because let's get to the next, the next subject we've danced around, but I want to share with you that just yesterday I interviewed a fabulous podcaster who runs the podcast for something that most, most people have heard of. It's called the, the, the Spartan races. Okay. I've had the Spartan races started in Vermont where I, where my husband and I have lived for 30 years. And I thought I knew just about everything there was to know about the Spartan races. I was so wrong. 
And one of the things that, and when I learned more about all the things they're doing that are pretty much in line with what you and I have been talking about, you know, facing a struggle with others. God, there's so much camaraderie in this whole Spartan race system. And you don't have to run a hundred miles and it doesn't have to be about obstacle courses. It can be about being in a challenge with others. This is, she had so much to say about creating and looking out for the circumstances in our lives where we have the opportunity to be in a challenge with others. I just think that that's what you're talking about. There's so many bits and points here in our family lives and in our working lives where we can share a struggle with others and and it can actually be a pleasure, I think, on balance. Yes, yes. I mean, wow. Okay, so now you're entering a topic that I have so much to talk about because a huge part of what my team and I, we do every single day is we work with teams to you know really help them level up their game and create really strong partnerships and bonds to get through whatever challenge or issues going on in their companies and contribute and make impact. And so, you know, so many stories come to mind, but I'll I'll give you a little bit of maybe some research background that will help us understand how important those connections and those team members are. There's a, a group of researchers led by Reynolds and Lewis out of the UK, the Netherlands, and Purdue in the United States. And they got together 20 plus years ago and they wanted to figure out what teams were the highest performing teams in the world. What factor, what was it that made certain teams so effective, so successful in their daily business life, right? And so they brought teams of 12 into various rooms. They gave them a set of conditions, a problem to solve, and they timed them and they scored them for accuracy. And in the middle of the project, they changed the conditions and they still required these teams of 12 to solve the problems. And these were all kinds of different companies, all kinds of different teams from organizations literally anywhere on the planet, okay? And they studied these organizations and the teams and they tried to figure out what is the one factor that differentiates a successful team from the mediocre teams. And it was one factor, one factor that they then published in the Harvard Business Review in an article called Team Solve Problems Faster When They're More Cognitively Diverse. It turns out the one factor that correlated directly to our teams, our ability for teams to be successful together is cognitive diversity. Now, what is that? What is cognitive diversity? Cognitive diversity is a team that has people and individuals with different backgrounds, experiences, worldviews, and expertise. It turns out that when we have a team with low levels of cognitive diversity, when we're all kind of just the same, we're not effective in making impact and positive difference in our teams and organizations and our companies. It turns out the best and most effective teams are those where the individuals have vastly different experiences, vastly different backgrounds, vastly different expertise. You know, we thought, or or there was a lot of thinking that it was going to be diversity that was going to be the factor, race, religion, sexual orientation, gender, these things. Now, those things turn out to be really, really important to boost the culture and feel a sense of belonging, but it wasn't correlated to impact. It wasn't correlated to success in the workplace. And so it turns out we need each other. It turns out we need the differences in each other. It turns out we need vastly different people. Can you imagine this with different philosophies and different expertise and different experiences to come together around a common mission? And that's when you can really create impact. And unfortunately, right now in this country, we're so divided, right, into so so many different groups. Well, if you go back to like our middle school days, we didn't want to be different, right? We didn't want to stand out. We didn't want to eat lunch alone. We wanted to conform. We wanted to be just like the bigger group. We wanted to separate by those who made us feel comfortable. And it turns out that per the research, that makes us really, really, really ineffective in the workplace. And what we have to do is bring people together and create teams of different thoughts and different perspectives and different knowledge and able to to make successful impact and make a difference. 
So, you know, that's that's all to say you you touched on opening the door to the value of human connection. It's not just this fuzzy pie in the sky thing that we say that, that, that you said. It's actually tied what you said directly to the research. It's actually related directly to our ability to make impact is people coming together of different backgrounds in service to others. To me, it's always made perfect common sense that your solutions are only going to be as good as the range of creativity, the range of the range of imagination, the range of experiences that you start with. That's it. So if, if you've got everyone in the room who thinks exactly alike, you're going to all propose the similar solution. <laughs> it's yeah. just like- yes. In fact, it's interesting you say that because when those same researchers would measure the cognitive diversity of teams, right? They created a tool called the AEM cube assessment, which we now use with teams all throughout the world to measure the cognitive diversity of the teams. They would ask those teams, how many of you feel like your cognitive diversity of this team is really high? And every hand would go up. Everybody would say, oh yes, my team is very cognitively diverse. We are incredibly cognitively diverse as a team. And then they would measure the cognitive diversity of that team. And it was almost always really low. Why? Because we like to surround ourselves by but with people that think the same way. When we hire, you and I, we've hired lots of people in our careers. We ask ourselves after the candidate leaves, would that person be a good F word? What's the F word? <laughs> would that person be a good fit? Friend. Oh, I was thinking friend. 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 Yes. friend. friend or fit, right? That's... And what we're actually doing is we're lowering the cognitive diversity of our team, because we don't want someone that will disrupt, bring different ideas, think differently. Well, in fact, that's counterproductive to our teams and to our relationships. And so we have to really fight that urge to only surround ourselves by Republicans or Democrats, to only surround ourselves by people in the in the workplace or hire people for fit, because in so many ways, that works against our ability to solve complicated problems together and really make impact together in service to others. This reminds me of something that that I ran across years and years and years ago. So it's this concept of, it, it's so pointed to exactly what we we're just talking about here. Who would you want to be in a lifeboat with? Mm. Now that question mm. is super important for what you just said. You know, I can think, I, oh no, my friends are not going to like this, but I ne- we wouldn't necessarily want to be in a life and death situation with every one of our friends. We would, if we have a chance to think about it, want to be with people who have very different experiences, very different skills, very different ways of thinking about what's possible than us. And that's not exactly who we would choose as our friends, right? And so the, it's like, who would you want to be in the lifeboat with? Well, somebody who knew something completely different than me, because if I'm all the resources we have, we're going down. (laughs) Yes. Well, in your lifeboat or in your team, you want shared values, but complementary skills. And let me explain that. In your lifeboat, you don't want someone who's going to steal your food and steal your water while you're trying to get some rest. So you want that shared value of integrity and honesty, right? But it does us no good if neither one of us knows how to fish. You want someone with complementary skills, someone in that life raft that can figure out how to fish and grab food. So it's not about when you're asking yourself that question about who we're surrounding ourselves with, it's not about, I want someone disruptive that's so different, they're gonna, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm looking for shared values, but complementary skills. And so many times we're actually looking for shared values, the same people, the same skills, the same mindset, the same, same, same. That doesn't really do us any good. Your, your lifeboat example is a, is a great one and you know really helps illustrate how important it is. It's life or death in a, in a life raft, but for a company's future and a company's success, it's also critically important that they form teams with that same sort of approach and philosophy, shared values, complementary skills. Well, that's a great little phrase I'm going to remember on and on. Okay, so one of the things that that this makes me think of is in as far as the diversity, the cognitive diversity. Yeah, that's kind of a big word for most people. But what what's a what's a better way of a better a easier way of saying that or framing that up in a really simple way? It's just that people think who think maybe fundamentally different or or think from a different angle what's a what how do how would you describe cognitive diversity so we have absolute clarity on what we're talking about here well yeah you're right it's 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 people who have different expertise 
different backgrounds, different experiences, different paradigms, different ways of approaching the world. And that's cognitive diversity. There's a diversity in the way in which we think and approach approach our daily life. Okay. And, you know, hey, Linda, I'm, uh, what, I just want to, you know, because I uh, have a little bit of a, a memory challenge, I, this, this, this story came to mind and I, and I think it's really appropriate. I just want to share it with you really quickly because it's about oh, sure. that exactly. And this is a great challenge. Two days ago, I, I won't use the name of the channel because this was just two days ago and, and I don't want to get in trouble here, but I like watching poker on TV. Okay, Texas Hold'em. And I'm watching Texas Hold'em on TV. And my 14-year-old daughter is on the couch. She's in the room with me. And I'm watching Texas Hold'em. And the way in which this channel is produced, there are, in my opinion, some chauvinist and sexist comments that are occasionally made by the host of this poker channel. And it's really offensive. And in, in our house, I've mentioned that before while watching it, that you know, my, my daughter, my 14-year-old daughter knows how I feel about that. So two days ago, she says to me, why do you still watch this channel, even though it's sexist and chauvinist? And I said, Leah, the issue is that we have to figure out what we can learn, even when there are some elements that we strongly disagree with and we don't believe are part of our value system. We have to try to find what it is that we enjoy. And I said to Leah, I said, Leah, look, I actually learn a lot about the game and a lot about strategy from watching this channel. But I also recognize the limitations and those things that are not compatible with my own value system. And I said, Leah, that's our challenge. You're going to come across a lot of people that you may not like their political views. You may not like their hobbies. You may not like their professions or the way they do something or, or whatever they're involved with. But if you could try to figure out what you can learn from them, challenge yourself to dive a little bit deeper beyond how they voted in the last election, just try. It's not easy, but just try. Boy, that's when we can really get some benefit and some potential for understanding and connection. Not saying you can do it every time, but but Linda, you really, I, I apologize for interrupting you there, but I think for me that that really illustrated this challenge that we have for each other to see what we can learn, even despite some of the things that may not be in alignment. So huge. I think I recognize that our senses have been like over insulted so much, or we've allowed them to be, let's, we, that could, that's a whole nother rabbit hole that we, the minute somebody, there's like triggering phrases or triggering words, the minute some something gets said, that's one of those triggering words, we close our ears. Yeah. We hear nothing past that. I've written a book too, it's called Happiness is an Option. And that's one of the things that I talk about in there that, you know, we don't, it's like dating when you first meet someone or when you try and broach a subject with someone or maybe people, you know, right around the staff room table, but you don't start at somewhere on a first date where you talk about that. You hate your mother. Yes. You're never going to get a second date. Yes. Ever, yes. Right. Well, that what's that first date look like? It's a discovery process. You're sitting around the table, you're drinking a drink or whatever. And you're, you like that movie too, or you traveled there. Me too. How, how old were you when you, and you're all the whole thing. It's just like lightning round to find out what you have in common, what you can agree upon. Yes. And you don't even broach the whack, the wacky, your wacky growing edges or your, the places where you know, where you know you're vulnerable or you know you have the, the strongest feelings. And most of us know where those spots are, yes. where we're, okay, so. Well, well, Linda, let me just add to that. Yeah, add. So a huge part of what we do every single week is team building facilitation. We take teams offsite, we do team building facilitation. We don't start day one, module one, with let's talk about what the major issues are in the landmines in the office and all the controversial things. It may take two days of just getting to know each other about our hobbies, our interests, our families, before we're safe and comfortable to talk about those difficult discussions. But here's the problem. So many workplaces and so many offices and organizations, they don't take the time to do those steps that you just mentioned. They don't take the time to build up to those difficult things. And so they either do one of two things. They either ignore the big problems in the workplace and they just grow. And by the way, families do the same thing, right? I was going to say the same thing. Families do the same thing. They either grow 
or they don't have the skills and the trust and the foundations built up first. And so the moment that a word is mentioned, the moment that something is referenced, it explodes into World War 17, right? And so we really help organizations and individuals start with the fundamentals. It's like, this happens all the time. The CEO will say, yeah, we want you to come in and do the facilitation, but we want to get right to strategic, strategic planning because we've had a major problem with bringing people back from COVID and who wants to work at home and all this kind of stuff. And I say, great, let's start with some team building activities. And we don't need team building. We work together every day. I go, do you talk about these hard things every day? They go, no. I go, so their toolboxes are empty. They don't have the tools to be able to have those hard conversations. You can talk about your engineering project, but you can't talk about the hybrid environment, the work from home, the mother or father that has the childcare issue. We got to give you those fundamental tools first so that by the time that you get to those hard conversations, those crucial conversations, you're open to it. You can listen. You can have the, the, the safe environment. So it's exactly what you just said. We have to build up to that and we have to invest creating those environments. And, and that's what we do in those, in, in, in those offsite retreats. This is it, it, that level of urgency in business to solve the problem and move on is the great pressure cooker most businesses are in, right? Yes. This not being able to step back. I, and I, I would argue that it's probably comes from the fact that we, where we started this conversation is that almost everyone is carrying a burden. Yes. Just that some people carry their burdens on their sleeve and we know that there's the struggle at home or, and it could be the leader. It could be our team leader. It could be our middle manager. It could be, you know, three or four employees, but everyone is carrying a burden. And I loved what you said. I'd like to wrap. Okay. <laughs> I hope you'll, you, we, can we continue this discussion? Absolutely. I'm, 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 this is, this is the best. I mean, I, I this, I love this. So let's, uh, just tell me to hang up whenever we need to hang up. And okay, well, I, I didn't, we didn't even get to half the questions I want to ask you. So let's wrap up for today. Sure. I try and keep these episodes about an hour because I noticed that an hour is how I love for people to listen to this podcast on walks. Uh, there's a few podcasts that I love on a walk that just send my, my mind soaring and expanding. So We'll finish up. I'm not going to have a sense of urgency, speaking of a sense of urgency and a pressure cooker about getting to these other topics. But one thing I'd like to wrap up today's conversation on, and then I promise folks that we will have a, a part two of this soon, because I think we've struck on some very sweet spots, mm. be able to give people more expansive. I always call it like, I like to be out on my growing edges, not all the time, but I feel like I'm, you, our conversation, you brought me out to my growing edges, mm. right where that spot is that I can say, aha, mm. instead of, oh, no. Mm. Well, that's awesome. Thank you. I, yeah. I to hear that. I'm, that's the hope, right, is that we, that, that we push it a little bit here. And yeah. that's what the book intends to do. And, yeah. and you know, push us to, to discover and uncover some of the things that may not be so easy to talk about, but that, that we need in our lives moving forward. Well, I think also we've laughed a lot and smiled a lot. And that, that means that we can tackle some of these hard places in life with a sense of good humor and patience with ourselves and others. So let's wrap up on, on this topic. If you've got a few stories, um, you, just because I want people to know back to this, everybody's carrying a burden, yes. comment, right? Yes. If you're exasperated with your coworker or your brother-in-law or your middle manager or whoever, you said to me something that I, I'd love to just chat about for a minute before we close today. You said, hey, when you speak at, at, you do so much public speaking, almost every third or fourth person will come up to you afterwards and say something like, hey, I've never told anybody this, but, yes, yes. and you, you sort of give people permission to talk about the struggles. Yes. I mean, talk to me about that a bit. Yeah, it's, it's one of the most incredibly rewarding and humbling outcomes of this journey is exactly what you just described. So, you know, do these conventions and conferences or, you know, corporate retreats or whatever. And that, you know, afterwards there's find the book or whatever. It sounds a little bit odd to say, but um, you know, there's, there's a line, right. And every third or fourth person will start by saying, you know, I've never told anybody this, but, and I mean, you can imagine after all these years hearing these unbelievable stories and it's because so I go up on the platform and I talk about the brain injury and I talk about one of my greatest insecurities, which is 
a visual impairment that I was left with as a result of the injury, which is a light sensitivity visual impairment. So I have to wear dark sunglasses indoors. And I share the story that even though these dark sunglasses that were custom made for me, that eliminated 99% of my visual impairment and my light sensitivity, even though I had the cure for all of my challenges with my eyes, I would leave those sunglasses in my bag on purpose and I would not wear them in city hall. I would rather vomit. I would rather go to the ER for injections and IVs of pain medication. I would rather go home and be a terrible husband and be locked in a dark room to get the migraine away. I would rather do all of that than just wear my sunglasses indoors and be different. I didn't want to be different. It was such a tremendous source of insecurity. And at a certain point, I had to learn that this source of insecurity, my sunglasses, I needed to figure out how to grab it and how to make it a source of empowerment and wear my sunglasses. And, and so what I did is in this little, little group one day at work, I decided to sort of disclose and talk about for the first time, the brain injury and why I was going to need to, from that day forward, wear my dark sunglasses. And from that moment, everything changed. The connections that I was able to build with my teammates, with my colleagues, with folks that were trying to do business with the city immediately changed because they understood that they also carry a source of insecurity because you know what? We're humans. We all have our sunglasses. It just manifests into different forms. But if we can figure out that that's just the common human experience, that that's what makes us human. That's how we can actually connect on a very deep level. Boy, the power that comes from that. So after I share my story, it often gives others permission to share their insecurity, to share what they've been through. And that's where they've had this release. That's where they get this, this opportunity to take that piano off their shoulders and just know that they're human and that we're all human and we're all dealing with these issues and challenges together. And if we just open up and if we connect with others in an appropriate way, I'm not saying you should go into a board meeting and say, when I was eight years old, this happened to me, but in an appropriate way, it can actually have the reverse effect of having really deep and meaningful connections with other people, which at the end of the day bring, can bring us so much joy and, and great fulfillment, as you know, from the exchange, right? As you know, from what you're doing here on this platform. And that is the bottom line of it. I'm, I'm just imagining while you're talking about that story, you know, the times that we are we are looking at our our weakest moments may be the very moments that other people see us for who we really are and earn all kinds of respect and and clarity. And, and my, my husband got so mad at. at the other day in the dental office at the end of the day, something was going on. It's the first time we'd ever shouted in 35 years. We had a young dental assistant that was doing some antics that just, she wasn't really cognizant of her effect on others and <laughs> sort of lost his temper. And he cried in front of everyone. Mm. Now he's 6'6", 270 pounds. And what he, he walked in on this, this young thing, giving a lecture to an older employee with their finger shaking. Mm and making this older employee feel feel bad it just it broke his heart so much for this older employee that he just he just got really angry and started to cry mm -hmm. and i tell you <laughs> that day when he came home from work he was like i said how did work go and he said well i cried at the end of the day but you know all the other employees told me in their own turn because of course i was like what happened at work today they all told him, me in turn, how much respect they had for him for sticking up and standing up and, and that they know he's working so, so hard and, and they know he just wants to create a lovely work environment where something like that wouldn't fit at all. And what came of him breaking or almost breaking was a tremendous amount of respect and kindness from all these other people that work with him all day long. So, you know, I think in our in our moments of weakness that we see as weak, maybe other people see us as somebody they can truly relate to. Yeah, because yeah. the response overwhelmingly with all of them was that they could support Dr. Chuck even better from now on because they knew how big his heart was. Linda, that's that's it in a nutshell. You just tied it up with the perfect bow. I mean, I couldn't imagine a better story to illustrate that the power of vulnerability, 
the power of talking about insecurity and the power of human connection. That's that's the perfect story. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's wrap it up here and we'll continue this conversation a part two. I promise everyone, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule. I'm going to wrap us up here by saying, I hope people will visit the goodness exchange and look for all these exchanges like this. We need this level of story sharing and, and swapping of insights because all our experiences can't possibly be the same. And we're each learning every day. I would argue that most of us are sizing things up from experiences. And if we can learn to do the kind of sharing that Jacob is advocating, we got nothing but we got nothing but daylight ahead of us. Thank you, Linda. Thank you so much. I, it's been so nice and such a pleasure to speak with you. And thanks for the work that you're doing on behalf of all of us. You know, we're benefiting from your work and your exchange. And uh, thank you. It's been a um, pleasure to be here. Okay, we're going to talk soon. For now, I hope that all the connections that, that Jacob and I have talked about to goodness and progress throughout throughout the, the coming week will just send you soaring and that you'll see all the joy and wonder um, start multiplying in your life just exactly like we've spoken about. All right, have a great day. 